You're listening to PX Space, a patient experience podcast devoted to the human side of healthcare. Brought to you by MDM Healthcare, committed to excellence in healthcare, offering a wide range of technology products. With your host, Linda Robinson, the Vice President of Clinical Excellence. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of PX Space. I'm Linda Robinson, your host, and today I'm thrilled to have with me Dr. Misty Wilkie. She is a clinical associate professor at the University of Minnesota School of Nursing. Dr. Wilkie's research and clinical interests include supporting minority nursing students with a focus on those from American Indian, Alaskan Native, Indigenous backgrounds, to improve health outcomes for the individuals and their communities. I'm actually gonna do something a little bit differently today, and I'm gonna let Misty introduce herself. Welcome, Misty. Chimi Gwich, Buju and Dinaway Maganadog, Misty Wilkie Neen Indijnakaz Jaganashimong, Neen Ninduda Makwa, Mikinak Waju and Meiti Nindunjaba, Migadan Zagaigan, Ninda Nungam. Uh, what I said in the Ojibwe language is, hello, all of my relatives. My English name or my colonized name is Misty Wilkie. I am from the Bear Clan and my tribal affiliation are Turtle Mountain Band of uh, Chippewa. And uh, I am also a descendant of the Métis people in Canada. Uh, and today I live in Battle Lake. So um, I also want to thank you, Linda, for having me on today, and I look forward to a uh, fruitful conversation. Thank you so much. That is just so interesting, and I love how you hold on to your heritage, and you are so dedicated to it in your practice. And so as a nurse and as a professor, you have done so much in your career, and I did not want to give it away at the very beginning. So those who are listening, keep listening because she has done a lot. And this makes her very uncomfortable because of her heritage. And she informed me when we first started talking about doing the podcast that in her um, Native American heritage, there are seven grandfather teachings. And so I want her to share with us a little bit about those teachings. And honestly, there's something that we can all take home here. Um, so tell us a little bit about that, Misty. Yes, I would be happy to. So one of the things that I shared was um, that it can be challenging for me to talk about the things that I have accomplished because uh, we are taught to be humble and to live a life with humility. And so I never want to come across as bragging or being boastful about the things that I have accomplished. Uh, but I also realize that it's important for me to share the work that I have done because I want others, uh, particularly young minority folks and uh, American Indian Alaska Natives, to be able to see themselves um, achieving their dreams and and recognizing that anything is is possible. Uh, so a little bit about the seven grandfather teachings. Uh, these are um, uh, teachings uh, for us to live a good life 
uh, and to be respectful of all living things. And those principles or those seven teachings are humility, bravery, honesty, wisdom, truth, respect, and love. So probably not anything new um, that you don't hear about growing up, uh, but those are uh, the seven grandfather teachings that we try to live by to live a good life and to be a good relative to others. That's wonderful. So, I mean, we all do live by these. We try to, but putting them in a framework, sort of like the Ten Commandments, you know, you put them in a framework and you you live by them to add meaning to your life as well and to those around you. And so thank you so much for sharing that with us. And I have to tell you, from the first moment we started talking and I read a little bit about you as a young nurse, even as an old nurse, I hate to say old, um, <laughs> you inspire me and you will inspire many young nurses. And that is what is so important, not just those of you know minority status, but those who wish to be the best that they can be at their practice, because understanding and building others' cultures into our care so that they receive the best care possible is beyond important. Because what I see as unusual behavior may be completely normal for someone of that culture. So I am thrilled that you are here today, and I thank you for sharing your heritage with us because it is such a big part of what you do. Um, something that we talked a little bit about, so your work um, and your goal, it, we'll talk about that, um, but can you provide a few more insights you talked a lot about the Indian Relocation Act and and how boarding schools really formed a lot of the um, understanding and and the growth of young Native Americans and and how that really formed where your work started. It was the inspiration for your work. You saw what had happened. And then you said, hmm, I have to figure out a way to kind of, I don't know, would I say undo this or work with this? So talk to us a little bit about, walk us through your thinking. Um, I will add here so that everyone knows, she is the, she was the founder director of the Nagana Wena Mana Nig. Um, and I think I said it right. And yes. I, she secured $4.2 million in federal funding um, to recruit, retain, graduate, and license American Indian, Alaskan Native, Indigenous, baccalaureate, prepared nurses. And so um, she was the first one in Minnesota to receive an HRSA Nursing Workforce Diversity Grant. So I, I know humility is one of those seven grandfather um teachings. So I am going to um, scream from the mountaintops the work that you've done, Misty. So please fill us in about, about this, um, the work that you've done here. Yes, I would be happy to. So a little bit of history on American Indians that many people don't know. And one of my colleagues, Dr. Margaret Moss, often talks about in her presentations is that all of this was by de design. The federal government designed 
for the average American to not really know about American Indian history. And so there are many significant things that happened to us through throughout time. But a couple of the more significant ones that um, you might see affecting our overall health are um, the Indian Relocation Act, uh, which was established in 1956 to uh, assimilate American Indians into uh, westernized culture. And really, uh, the premise of it was to get American Indians off of the reservation when, you know, decades before the purpose was to get American Indians onto the reservation. Well, the government saw that we were thriving in spite of putting us on poor farming land and remote areas, uh, we were still doing well. So they reversed that decision, decided to move us off of reservations. In reality, what that ended up doing was separate the family unit. Um, and uh, they promised jobs, uh, housing, um, and a uh, boasted a good life, you know, to move them into these large urban areas, uh, big cities. Um, and uh, it wasn't until a couple of years ago that I learned that my dad was part of the Indian Relocation Act uh, and decided to move to California. And when he got there, he discovered there weren't the jobs and there weren't the housing. Um, and life wasn't what was promised on the advertisements. And so my mom ended up uh, going back or going to California to get him. Um, and so I often think about how different my life would be had my dad uh, stayed in California and just what an impact that would have on our entire family. The other piece of history um, that uh, continues uh, to severely affect American Indians uh, is the boarding school era. Um, and this was another uh, uh, idea by the federal government to uh, really attack our, our people and our culture and um, what we believe was uh, attempted genocide. Uh, so uh, children were removed uh, from the homes of American Indians, and there was no choice in this. Uh, children were kidnapped uh, by the federal government um, as young as the age of three and placed in boarding schools. Uh, sometimes children never got to see their family uh, until they graduated, uh, or it might have been uh, several years that have passed by the time they got to see their family. And during this time, uh, the motto of the boarding schools was to kill the Indian, save the man, or save the child. Uh, and so as soon as children arrived at the boarding schools, uh, their hair was cut, they were taken, um, their cultural garments were taken, and they were uh, physically beaten if they spoke their language. And so this really uh, developed a sense of shame in those children uh, while they were at boarding school. And so by the time they returned or were reconnected with their family, um, they didn't recognize their family or their culture or their language anymore. And if they did, they wanted no part of it because for years they were taught that being American Indian was a bad thing. And so today the 
repercussions of that are uh, we've some tribes have completely lost their language um, and uh, others are working to uh, have more within their their tribes be uh, um, language speakers of of their individual tribes um, and it really affected the family unit. Uh, so if you have uh, both a young boy and a young girl that attended uh, boarding school and they grow up and become parents, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> neither one of them know how to be parents because they didn't have parents growing up. Uh, they never had compassion or love. They didn't have physical affection. And so sometimes these things are carried on to their children and it just creates a, a really vicious um, cycle of dysfunctional family living. And then you see uh, substance abuse, uh, physical violence, domestic violence. Um, so a lot of the uh, health disparities that American Indians face today can be directly related to the history uh, that we've endured. And so sometimes, well, a lot of times we hear people say, well, just get over it. Um, but it's hard to get over something that uh, has happened to us historically and continues to happen to us uh, today. Right. So the boarding schools were between 1869 and the 1960s. Um, you know, you think what you were saying, I was born in 64. And so, you know, my children are 30. Um, it, it's it, like you said, this it's it continues. It, it's yes. it's not too it's not too far in the rearview window yet. Um, but the problems that have occurred that are now embedded and deep rooted um, are part that um, you all are that you're dealing with now in your community. I also wanted to say, just to bring up, that if anybody has watched the um, the yellow, not Yellowstone, but it was one of the movies from Yellowstone, eighteen something, eighteen eighty one, I think. They cover the Indian boarding schools, the Native American boarding schools. So interestingly enough, um, it, they that it is bringing being more brought out. Um, to help educate folks. So, and I thank you for sharing that with us. So um, from this, you know, this dedication that you have, you founded, um, I'm going to say it again, Naganawena Mananig. So tell Very us good. about that and what that actually means in your language. So Naganawena Mananig uh, is Ojibwe Moen. Uh, it can be translated into English uh, as we take care of them. And uh, while I was a nursing student um, and I was just reading an article that was in the November American Nurse, the ANA publication, um, a great article on different uh, programs devoted to uh, native um, nursing pro, uh, mm -hmm. indigenous support programs and Naganawini Mananig was one of the ones featured in there. Um, and uh, where I was going with that was uh, several of the featured um, indigenous nurses in that article talked about how they were the only American Indian in their nursing program. And uh, I had a similar experience. 
um, every program that I was in, with the exception of one, I was the only American Indian. And it is such a lonely, isolating experience when you're the only one uh, representing your people in um, in a program. And especially if you're moving away from your uh, tribal homelands uh, to attend school, uh, it's really challenging to, to stick with it. And so I, had a dream um, to develop a program uh, that provided holistic support for American Indian Alaska Native nurses. And that includes not only financial assistance, but uh, academic, um, social, and cultural uh, support. You know, there are a wide variety of uh, Indigenous students in the world, and some of them are uh, very traditional, grew up in traditional homes, speaking their language, participating in ceremonies, uh, and are very comfortable uh, with their culture. And then there are others um, like me who are boarding school survivor, uh, children and grandchildren of boarding school survivors, um, and didn't grow up with the culture or the language in our home, uh, but really have a strong desire uh, to reconnect with our culture. And so I wanted to be able to support students on their cultural journey on whichever mm -hmm. end of the spectrum um, that they were on, uh, but also providing that mentoring um, and social support, getting them connected to a community of other Indigenous faculty, staff, and students. So when they have those moments of feeling like they don't belong and things are kind of crumbling and their first instinct is to return home to their tribal homelands, they have a community built in that says, nope, you're not leaving, you're not giving up that <laughs> easy. Um, because uh, oftentimes that's what ends up um, helping those students to stay connected. Um, at their colleges and universities, um, and that's what they need. Uh, so to be able to, to build and establish a program of support for American Indian Alaska Native students was my goal. And I am very happy that I was able to accomplish that. That is absolutely amazing. Uh, another thing, I believe they also got a stipend so that they didn't have to work which I yeah. think is fabulous as well. I did work through college and it made it so much harder, but I had, you know, a, a, a large support system and, you know, I wasn't part of an, a minority group. And so you're right. That does make a huge difference. Yes. So a lot of times, not just with American Indian Alaska Native students, but right. uh, with a you know, other minority students or right. any student, the expectation is to uh, contribute to the family household income. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it's really challenging for our undergraduate nursing students to be able to uh, hold a part-time job while being a full-time nursing student. Anybody that's a nurse knows what a, a rigorous <laughs> program that is. And uh, any time taken away from studying um, is challenging. And so Naganawini Mananig built in uh, monthly stipends to help contribute to their household in income. And the thought or the um, 
the idea presented to the students was that studying was their job. Uh, they were essentially getting paid to study, so they did not have to work outside of the home um, for that income. They would earn it uh, through their um, studying for exams and writing uh, papers and completing their homework. That's great. So how many students did you graduate the first year? And then now you're no longer um, working with the program. You've moved on and we're going to talk about that. But um, give us an idea of how many nurses, Native American, um, Alaskan Native Indigenous nurses have been prepared. And then I believe you also went beyond that from baccalaureate to now um, a master's uh, level. It's a, a DNP or PhD. A DNP, see? Yes. Wow. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so while I was at uh, Bemidji State, uh, we had graduated, I believe it was 19 American Indian Alaska Natives uh, with a, a BSN. Um, so I was very proud of those numbers. Uh, it was um, uh, a great accomplishment, uh, and I'm I'm proud of the work uh, that Bemidji State continues to do with the Nagunawinimanenig program. Uh, so now I am at the University of Minnesota School of Nursing, and we also have the same HRSA Nursing Workforce Diversity grant, uh, mm -hmm. but our focus is on American Indian Alaska Native nurses wanting to earn a DNP or a PhD. Um, we have 12 different DNP specialties that students can choose from, um, and they also receive uh, financial support as well as the uh, cultural support uh, and social support through mentoring. Um, so it's uh, it's been um, I'm, I'm not sure of the right word, but it's, it's been a nice transition to be able to work to recruit at the uh, undergraduate mm -hmm. level and see so many uh, BSN prepared Indigenous nurses and now to have some of those same students coming over um, to the University of Minnesota. Uh, and so we've also had some great accomplishments so far. Uh, we are in our second year of funding, um, of this funding cycle. And uh, in the first year, we just happened to have three Indigenous students uh, enrolled in the DNP um, specialties. And within less than six months, uh, we were able to recruit and enroll 14 more uh, Indigenous students. So at the start of the fall semester, we had 16 American Indian uh, DNP students. And I was able to confirm with AACN that it's the largest number of American Indian DNP students that any institution has had. Um, and I think that really speaks to the work that we are doing at the University of Minnesota to support Indigenous students at the graduate level. Um, I do this work alongside uh, my colleagues, Dr. Lisa Martin, who is Lakota Ray, and Dr. Margaret Moss, uh, who is a member, a uh, citizen of the three affiliated tribes, the Mandan, Hidatsa, and Arikara in North Dakota. This is quite an accomplishment. Uh, I mean, what you are doing for your community is absolutely amazing because there's another piece to this 
not only are you educating, getting um, those students the education that they really need and deserve, but also you're looking to hopefully place them inside hospitals in and on reservations. Yes. So the idea or the goal of, you know, whether it's Nagunawini-Mononig or our pathway initiative at the University of Minnesota uh, is to help these nurses um, return to their tribal homelands. And um, that isn't with any encouragement from us. That's, you know, them wanting to go back and and help. Maybe it's not their own tribe, but another tribe, uh, because they recognize the need. Um, They grew up in IHS facilities, just like I did, where, you know, the majority of the healthcare providers in IHS are non-native, or at least they were when I was growing up. And so there is a strong desire to flip the narrative and have the people caring for our Indigenous relatives be Indigenous themselves. So uh, the majority of our current DNP students uh, work in IHS or Indian Health Services facilities, um, and they have a goal of being leaders in those facilities uh, when they complete their DNP programs. And um, that excites me beyond belief uh, (laughs) to um, know that our facilities that um, could use some improvement uh, will be led by some very knowledgeable and capable Indigenous nurses. Who had incredible professional mentors, which I think that is so pivotal because they say, hey, I'm not limited by my parents' boarding school history or the fact that I'm Native American. I'm not limited by that. There are grants out there that I can use to make my community better because I think sometimes people get into that that, you know, there's the stigma and I can't move beyond it, but you are letting them know, you're showing them that there is a pathway. I love the name of your your program, Pathway. Um, it's a lot easier to say than uh, Naganawani Mananig, which I'm saying much faster now than at the beginning. Um, yes, but this you are. also leads into something else that you are a part of. And, um, you know, you're embedding the culture into their curriculum as a nurse. Um, but you're also um, taking the patients um, and, you know, we all have been doing simulation in nursing. It's it's really exciting and virtual reality. And you've you've taken that again. You've taken your community, your ideas, what is normal in your culture that may seem unusual or odd behavior uh, to someone like me, uh, but it's not. And so tell us about the um, the shadow health initiative uh, that you you are part of. Yes, I would be happy to. Um, so several years ago, I was approached by uh, Shadow Health, who is now under uh, Elsevier Incorporated, um, to create the first American Indian uh, digital clinical experience or simulation. Uh, patient. Um, and so they already had a, a general idea of what that patient 
was going to be. They wanted it to be uh, a mental, or I'm sorry, they wanted it to be a maternal child health simulation. And uh, so I uh, pitched the idea of using my story uh, as kind of the, the guiding uh, foundation for creating that uh, digital clinical experience. And so the patient is an 18-year-old American Indian woman from the Turtle Mountain Band of Chippewa uh, who is expecting her first child. Um, and uh, many parts of this simulation are uh, my own story. I was the patient uh, at 18 expecting my first child. And um, I appreciated the work that Shadow Health did to ensure the simulation was uh, authentic and genuine. Um, they wanted to hire a Turtle Mountain artist and ideally wanted to hire a Turtle Mountain voice actor um, to play the part of the patient. Um, but there are components within the simulation that we made sure to put in there uh, because a lot of times people that live off of the reservation or not near a reservation think, you know, I've never encountered an American Indian or I've never taken care of an American Indian patient. Mm -hmm. But as I mentioned, the Indian Relocation Act, um, anywhere between 50 and 70% of American Indians live in urban areas like Minneapolis, mm -hmm. Chicago, San Francisco, Los Angeles. Um, we're spread out across the country in these urban areas. And so uh, the odds of caring for an American Indian patient are greater than people recognize. And so uh, I was happy to provide a platform for nursing students to learn a little bit more about our culture and what they might experience when caring for an American Indian patient. So for example, uh, the patient's name is Donis, uh, which is Ojibwe Moan for daughter. Um, and her mother, um, uh, Rebecca, and Donis's last name is LaFontaine. So I'm going to go a little off track and mm -hmm. just kind of bringing this all right. together. Um, so Donis's last name is LaFontaine. And uh, she is named after uh, Savannah Greywind LaFontaine, uh, who was a young uh, Native woman expecting her first child and was kidnapped uh, and killed by a neighbor um, and her baby was surgically removed from her womb while she was still alive. Um, and then her body was um, discarded in a local river. And this um, tragic uh, event uh, sparked uh, worldwide um, attention on uh, missing and murdered Indigenous women. Um, you know, this is something that we see uh, far too often, but the fact that there was this eight-month-old newborn taken from her mother's body, um, you know, just kind of added to the just like sheer horror of it all. And so I wanted to pay tribute to Savannah 
um, by Thank you. Uh, I know. I know. Thank um, you so much for sharing this. I will just add here while you're getting yourself together a little bit that Savannah's Act was passed in nine in 2021, um, and it are the laws. It's reformed the law enforcement and justice protocols appropriate to address missing and murdered Native Native women and for other purposes. So um, Savannah's Act was passed in 2021. Yes. So she's not Thank forgotten. That. Yes. And so that was really, you know, I, I wanted to make sure that her memory lived on um, and that her life meant something and that um, through her life, she is able to help educate future nurses um, uh, through even just her name. Um, and so everything had a meaning and a purpose uh, that was added into uh, the simulation. Uh, so a couple of other things that students will learn about while completing the um, digital clinical experience uh, are the fact that Donis is going to request to bring her placenta home. Um, and that's a cultural practice of uh, many indigenous um, people. Uh, so they bury the, the placenta at their homelands. And um, the idea behind that is that the child spirit is always drawn back, to, back home. Um, right. And I, I just, I love that. We all need to be grounded in, and connected. Um, and so that's something that students will learn about. Um, and when you have never been asked for the placenta uh, that might come across as uh, shocking, uh, mm -hmm. but hopefully, you know, the students learn uh, something new with that. The other uh, thing that is built in, um, two quick things, uh, Donis's mom, Rebecca, does a lot of the talking for her. Uh, she answers the medical provider's questions, and um, this might be seen as, um, abnormal in other mm -hmm. cultures, uh, but it is very normal in our culture for uh, the elders uh, to speak on our behalf uh, because we're going to ask for their opinion anyway and their advice. Um, and so Donis's mom does a lot of the talking in the uh, simulation experience. And the last piece is um, with relation to eye contact. Um, we don't do a lot of eye contact, especially with people that we don't know. Um, it's a very personal and intimate thing to make eye contact with people. And so uh, when, for example, we're sitting in a uh, exam room and the provider is talking to us, our instinct is to just look down at the floor. Um, and so some providers can take this as, uh, you know, the patient not caring, not being interested in their health. And in reality, that patient is listening very intently and showing respect um, by not kind of staring at them. Um, and, you know, so just to recognize that it is a sign of respect and uh, the patient is listening. Uh, there might be moments of silence as the patient is uh, processing the things that are said. So just to give 
that extra few seconds to process rather than speaking and, and trying up to fill up that, that silent space. Very interesting. And you think of today's healthcare landscape where everything is fast, 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 fast as you can. You know, you've got to slow down and really give this patient the care that that they need and deserve, which is so important. And we want to do that with every patient. But if we're not educated and we're not trained, you don't know. And so what a wonderful, what a wonderful simulation. I tell you, I have to thank you from all nurses for the work that you've done for your community and the difference that it's already made um, since 2017 when you started Naganawani Mananeg. Oh my gosh, I got it. And um, and now Pathways, and then hopefully infusing your communities with very well trained nurses who just are on fire. Uh, to make a difference. And so I thank you for that. I thank you for being with us today. And I want to um, ask you, is there anything else you would like to share with our audience? Any pearls of wisdom um, or anything else that you would like to share before you, before we close here? Um, I get my final thought would be uh, one of my favorite quotes is by Marion Edelman Wright, and it is, you cannot be what you cannot see. And so when you were mentioning how important my or mentors are, um, right. that that is really why I do the work that I do, because when I was a an undergraduate and then a graduate student, I was able to meet some phenomenal American Indian nurses. Uh, Dr. Roxanne Struthers was one, uh, Dr. Margaret Moss, um, uh, Beverly Warren, uh, uh, just so many uh, incredible Indigenous nurses. And they were in these leadership positions. You know, some mm -hmm. of them were deans of prestigious nursing schools and doing this incredible research. And it wasn't until I met and saw them in their element and I thought to myself, I could do that someday. Mm -hmm. um, I grew up on some of the poorest reservations in North and South Dakota. And so uh, to kind of imagine this big life beyond the reservation was something that never crossed my mind. And so that is really why I do the work that I do. So others, no matter what their background is or where they come from, um, can see that anything is possible. Uh, you just have to have a dream and a goal and don't give up until you accomplish it. And I know it's not as easy as that. There are lots of barriers and, and challenges along the way, but um, the key really is to find that group of support people and mentors that can help nurture you along the way. Thank you so much. I will say those barriers, you have learned to go over them, under them, around them, or just go straight on through them. And so I thank you for all of your work and um, the mark that you are leaving on nursing um, and uh, your Native American heritage. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to PX Space. 
For more information, head to our website at mdmhealthcare.com. And don't forget to subscribe to our monthly newsletter.